Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Today, the Baha'i faith is, according to some estimates, the ninth largest religion in all of the world, with about seven million followers. It is present in basically every corner of, of Earth, from the Middle East to Europe and the United States and Asia, and with some famous people actually being Baha'is, like Rain Wilson from The Office. And all of this is especially impressive and interesting when we consider that the religion is barely 150 years old. This would make it one of the, if not the, fastest growing religion in all of history. But what is this religion that seems to have taken the world by storm? What are the origins, history, and teachings of the Baha'i faith? This is what I'll explore in this series. The Baha'i faith is a very young monotheistic religion which has three, you could say, main principles. There is what's called the unity of God, the unity of religions, and the unity of mankind. But to understand the Baha'i faith fully, we need to understand where it comes from 
its origins, its background, and the movements from which it emerged. Now, the Baha'i faith has its origins in 19th century Iran. And so to understand the faith and its development, we of course need to understand the context in which it appeared. The Baha'i faith has its origins in 19th century Iran. It is thus also important to know that the religion develops out of Shia Islam, which was the prominent religion in the region at the time. So to understand the Baha'i faith, we need to understand Shiism first. Shia Islam is characterized by their perspective on authority and who was the rightful successor after the Prophet Muhammad. The Shiites believe that the uh, descendants from in the Prophet Muhammad's family, who are called Imams, are the rightful leaders of the Muslim community. And the Twelver branch of Shiism, which is the largest today, believe that there were 12 Imams, starting with the Prophet's cousin and son-in-law Ali, and ending with a figure who, whose name is Muhammad al-Mahdi, who lived in the 9th century. Whereas all the other Imams, the first 11 Imams, died, the last Imam, the 12th, Al-Mahdi, is thought to have gone into occultation or spiritual hiding, you could say, and is thought to return at the end of time to redeem the world at the beginning of Judgment Day. Al-Mahdi is thus a kind of messianic figure in Shia Islam who is thought to return at the end of time to reinstate true religion in the world. I don't have time to go into a full explanation of Shiism in a general sense. What is important to emphasize here is also that Shiism has had a large emphasis on what we could call a certain esotericism. Many Shiites in history have interpreted the Quran, at least parts of the Quran, through a process known as ta'wil, which is usually translated as esoteric interpretation. And so the idea is that the Quran has an outer meaning called zahir and then an inner meaning called batin. And the process of ta'wil is to extract the hidden meanings that are hidden beneath this uh, literal outer meaning. This is a very prominent aspect of, of much of Shia theology, especially by the Ismailis, but also in Twelver Shiism. And in these kind of interpretations, of course, many Quranic verses are read as metaphors or allegories that hide the true meanings behind those literal words. For example, in the writings of the Ikhwan as-Safa, the Brethren of Purity, who were likely Ismailis, the second largest group of Shiites, there's an abundance of this kind of rhetoric. They viewed history as cyclical and divided world history into cycles of 7,000 years which is, by the way, the true meaning to them of the God creating the world in seven days. And each thousand years within the 7,000-year period is a cycle that is associated with a certain prophet. So the first thousand years is the cycle of Adam, followed by the cycle of Noah, Abraham, and so on, until we reach the sixth cycle, which is that of Muhammad, and which, according to them, is the current cycle or era. The seventh cycle will begin at the coming of Al-Mahdi, or Al-Qa'im, which is two names for the same person, the messianic figure who redeemed the world at the end of time and reinstate true religion. They also believed in this Al-Mahdi figure, but thought that it was a different Imam who was this figure. So this idea of Al-Mahdi, or Al-Qa'im, as this messianic figure who will return, is present in many branches of Shiism, with the only difference being that different branches believed that different Imams were this Mahdi figure. As I said, the Ikhwan al-Safa were most likely Ismaili Shia, and the Baha'i faith grew out of Twelver Shiism, which is a different branch of Shiism completely. But I bring this up to emphasize that while the Brethren of Purity had these ideas, these are kinds of ideas that were prevalent in all of Shiism and in Twelver Shiism as well. 
and this would thus have a large influence and impact on the events that took place in Iran in the 19th century. The beginnings of this story can arguably said to be in a movement called Sheikhism, which originates in the early 19th century with a guy called Sheikh Ahmad al-Ashai. He and his successor Said Kazim Rashti presented a unique interpretation of Shia doctrine. The Sheikhis seem to have emphasized a kind of mysticism and that Sheikh Ahmad had visionary experiences of the Imams. But one of the central ideas that they seem to have occupied themselves with the most was the return of the Mahdi. Indeed, a very important and significant date was approaching. In the Islamic calendar, the 12th Imam is said to have disappeared in the year 260 after Hijrah, which is the year 874 in the regular Gregorian calendar. Very soon, in the mid-1800s, would be the Islamic year 1260 after Hijrah. This means exactly a thousand years after the disappearance of the last Imam. So given the preoccupation some Shias had with cyclical time, and in particular with thousand-year cycles, as we talked about, this resulted in an atmosphere of great expectation in the community. Was al-Mahdi to return soon? The Sheikhis represent one group who very much believed so. They very much held the idea that Mahdi was to return very, very soon and told their followers to be on the lookout for him. When the second leader of the Sheikhis, Said Kazim Rishti, died in 1843, there was a crisis of succession. He hadn't actually appointed anyone's successor as leader of the community, but instead in insisted that al-Mahdi had actually returned and told his followers instead to go look for al-Mahdi and have him as their new leader instead. This brings us to a very interesting young man by the name of Zaid Ali Muhammad al-Shirazi. As his name suggests, he was from the city Shiraz in modern Persia and had been born in 1819. It seems he had traveled in his youth and come into contact with the Sheikhis, probably joining them and being highly influenced by a lot of their teachings. By the time Zaid Kazim Rashti died in 1843, Said Ali Muhammad was only about 24 years old, but he had already garnered a reputation as a kind of holy man or mystic in his hometown. On the night of May 22nd, 1844, a prominent Sheikhi by the name Mullah Hussain traveled to the city of Shiraz to look for the Mahdi or Qa'im as his leader had instructed him. Once there, he was invited to the house of Sayyid Ali Muhammad, and what happened that night in that house would be one of the most significant religious events and turning points in the last few centuries. Sayyid Ali Muhammad declared that night to Mullah Hussain exactly a thousand years after the disappearance of the last twelver imam that he was al-Bab, the gate to the twelfth imam. Some say that his claim actually went even further than this at, at this early point, but we'll reserve this point for later. Mullah Hussain is said to have then asked the Bab, which is the name that he would then go by and which I'll refer to him by from now on, a couple of questions to prove his identity, which he apparently answered in a satisfactory manner by writing a book or the first section of a book called Qayyum al-Asma, which has become one of the most important sacred scripture for both Babis, followers of the Bab, and later Baha'is as well. In this text, he refers to himself as, quote, the greatest remembrance of God and as the gate to the hidden Imam. In any case, Mullah Hussein at that point became a devoted follower of the Bab, and soon many other Sheikhis followed in his footsteps as well, and thus there had developed a movement around the Bab which became known as Babism. 
He initially gathered around him 18 disciples or missionaries who became known as the Letters of the Living, whom he would send out as missionaries to different parts to spread this new message. He traveled to Mecca with one of his followers to declare his mission as the gate to the 12th Imam, and he in general started to gain a pretty significant amount of followers, which worried the Shia clerics to a very large degree. His increasing number of different writings started to be spread by his followers and was done so covertly, making a point not to reveal the Bab's actual name. You can imagine the whisperings and atmosphere that must have prevailed in the region at the time. The Imam is said to have returned, Al-Mahdi is said to have returned, and there are these secret sacred writings that are being spread around. What if it's actually true? In a very dramatic fashion, the name of the Bab is then said to have been revealed by one of his followers adding his name to the Muslim call to prayer, which of course outraged the Shia scholars. The years that followed his proclamation would see increasing tensions arise. The Bab gained more and more followers, but as a result he also garnered more criticism and more persecution. He moved to Isfahan, where he was protected by the governor for a while, but was later imprisoned in Azerbaijan. There was also increasing tensions within his larger group of followers, who sometimes very stridently defended their faith and wasn't necessarily afraid to use force. A turning point was when a leading Shia scholar called called Mullah Muhammad Taqi, was murdered by a Babi sympathizer. This led to major changes in the Babi situation in the region, as persecution and oppression was doubled down on, as they were now more and more being seen as a both social and political threat in Iran. Another very dramatic shift happened in 1848, when the Bab revealed that his message and his identity was a lot more radical than what had been claimed previously. He now not only claimed to be the gate to the hidden Imam, he was actually the Imam himself. He was Al-Mahdi, who had returned to fulfill the prophecy and was thus a new messenger of God. Whether this was a gradual development or the idea from the beginning is hard to say for sure. Some claim that he actually claimed to be the Mahdi from the beginning, but that he kept this knowledge only to his close followers, and that this larger declaration was only a, a sort of public declaration, so to say, but we don't know for sure. In any case, this was obviously a very radical idea that, if true, would mean a turning point in history and of course also would mean that the day of judgment was approaching. He was put on trial that same year since his movement had become an increasing threat to the leaders and the clergy and during this very famous trial when asked to reveal or explain his identity and his mission he is famously uh, reported to have said quote I am the Qa'im that you have been waiting for thus confirming his intentions to a shocked audience. After an intense trial of questions and answers, he was spared from death but returned to the prison in Shihriq. This was a radical break with established mainstream Shia Islam and one that would, of course, establish Babism as an entirely new movement or religion in a way. In the words of Peter Smith, quote, In Shiite terms, the Bab's public claim to be the Mahdi was a profoundly radical act. In popular belief, the Mahdi was the rightful ruler of the faithful and the inaugurator of the final days prior to the resurrection. 
To the Babis, this also meant a break with Sharia, or Islamic law, which was to be replaced by a new Babi law, one that was contained in Mother Bab's books called the Bayan, which in a way was supposed to replace the Quran as the most sacred uh, law-giving scripture. The following period saw an increasing amount of unrest. There were many different conflicts, violent conflicts, in which people from both sides, both Babis and anti-Babis, were killed in these conflicts. Babis were massacred in the hundreds and even thousands, but they also used force themselves, and not always defensively, it seems. So the Babis became more and more seen as a very serious threat to security and, and to society, and this became too much in 1850 for the chief minister Amir Kabir, and so in an effort to cut off the head of the snake, so to speak, he ordered to have the Bab executed. Thus it was that on July 9th, 1850, the Bab and one of his followers were taken to a barrack square in Tabriz, suspended on a wall and shot to death by firing squad. He would have been only 30 years old when this happened. Thousands of people is said to have looked on as it happened, and many report that the first round of shots didn't kill the Bab, a second round being required. This many Babis and Baha'i see as a kind of miracle and a confirmation of his true identity. This act of executing the Bab seems to have partly worked because the Babis were severely weakened by the death of their prophet and also many of their other leaders in different massacres and conflicts that were erupting in the region. Uh, many Babis were forced to go underground or even flee from Persia altogether. The life and movement of the Bab is, of course, to a large degree supported by his great charisma, but also by his teachings and ideas. He is said to have composed an almost inhuman amount of different texts and writings, everything from letters to divinely inspired revelations. Many of his followers and those who met him often report that he was able to just improvise divinely inspired verses uh, on a, in a very rapid speed. For example, his first follower, Mullah Hussain, tells the story of that very fateful night when the Bab revealed his identity. Quote, he took up his pen and with incredible rapidity revealed the entire Suri of Mulk, the first chapter of his commentary on the Suri of Joseph. The overpowering effect of the manner in which he wrote was heightened by the gentle intonation of his voice which accompanied his writing. Not for one moment did he interrupt the flow of the verses which streamed from his pen. Not once did he pause until the Suri of Mulk was finished. I sat enraptured by the magic of his voice and the sweeping force of his revelation. The book or scripture he's referring to is called Qayyum al-Asma, which is considered to be his earliest work. And he also composed many other different kinds of texts, letters, scriptures, and books. The largest and most significant is often considered the so-called Persian Bayan, which he wrote while imprisoned in Maku. In these scriptures, he discusses everything from the Babi law that was to replace the Sharia to his very unique and esoteric interpretations of Quranic concepts and verses. Many of his ideas were probably highly influenced by esoteric movements within Shi'ism and also Sufism. It is clear that he views time as cyclical and also very uniquely holds that same idea of prophetic cycles, each cycle being associated with a certain prophet. Now, this idea we of course recognize from the Ismailis that we discussed earlier. He refers to these prophets, the same prophets basically that Islam has, like Adam and Noah, Abraham, Jesus, Muhammad. Um, he refers to them by the name manifestation of God, which should not be understood as incarnation, but rather a person in whom God 
God's attributes are reflected perfectly. And uh, so he's a prophet, basically, but the name he uses and the later Baha'is would use is manifestation. The interpretations or explanations that he presents for certain Quranic ideas or concepts we also find in other esoteric movements within Islam. For example, he views concepts like the Judgment Day and Resurrection of the Dead as being allegorical. The world was not to be literally destroyed at the Day of Judgment, and neither was the bodies of the dead to be raised. Instead, the Day of Judgment meant the appearance of a new manifestation of God or Prophet who would set the world right again, and resurrection or the raising of the dead was interpreted to mean a kind of spiritual reawakening of people when this new manifestation appears. Similarly, the claims to be al-Mahdi and the prophecy of his return was also read symbolically. The Bab did not claim to be the actual same person as the Imam living in the 9th century. Instead, the return of the Imam was a more symbolic one. In a way, the Bab's teachings and Babism can thus be seen as an extremely esoteric interpretation of Shia Islam, as a very significant and interesting movement that stands on its own as a fascinating religion. It still exists today, albeit with very few followers. The reason for its decline in numbers is partly because of its very strong association with the Baha'i faith, but it's very important not to simply equate the two as being the same as many tend to do. The Baha'i faith does develop out of Babism, but Babism stands on its own. It's its own religion. They're not the same thing. But it is true that in the Bab's writings, especially in the Bayan, he frequently refers to someone that he calls he whom God shall make manifest as a great prophet or manifestation that will succeed him, and pretty soon at that. In fact, when he talks about this person, he also claims that he is much superior to himself. Quote, For all that has been exalted in the Bayan is but a ring upon my hand, and I myself am barely but a ring upon the hand of him whom God shall make manifest. It seems that the Bab thus saw himself as a kind of precursor to something much greater, almost like what John the Baptist was to Jesus. And this new manifestation of God, this he whom God shall make manifest, was, at least according to some, a lot closer than many expected. And that is what I'll talk about in part two. I'll see you then. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.